Hello, hello, you fabulous interior design professional. How do I know you're fabulous? I just do. Because whenever I meet a fellow interior designer, I'm like, oh my God, this person is awesome. I love this person. I know how hard this person works. I'm really glad you're here. My name is Kimberly Selden. I am a practicing interior design professional. I'm juggling about seven projects at the moment. And I don't think a single one of them is currently going smoothly. That is not to say I'm out of process. If you listened to last week's episode, I assure you I'm totally in process. And still, this is a pretty challenging profession. And that's why I need you. And that's why we need each other. We are going to jump into episode 233 today. We're going to talk about purchasing art online. Now, this is something I never really wanted to do. I am blessed because the predominant work I do takes place in two urban centers. Toronto, we have tons of art galleries, many places I can purchase and borrow art from on behalf of my clients. And in Los Angeles, of course, we have so many places. Now, if you live somewhere, a rural area, you live in uh, a very small community and your options are limited, you may be forced to do something like purchase art online. So we thought it would be a good conversation about what do you look for? And by the way, this is what you look for if you're in a gallery face-to-face with the artwork as well. But particularly, how do you know that you're going to get good value when you're purchasing online? I reached out to Andrea Bogart, who runs a company called Embrace Creatives, and Andrea thinks of herself as a matchmaker between the interior designer or architect and the professional artist. Andrea herself is a fine artist, and she also teaches at Lawrence Tech College of Architecture and Design. So she's right in that sweet spot where she really gets what we need. You can find Andrea at embracecreatives.com. I don't know how you feel about purchasing artwork. I love it. There is nothing more depressing to me than going into someone's home and they have a bunch of art, especially if it's bad. You know, it's just like, oh, tourist art, pedestrian, just not special. Oh my gosh, it could be so much better or matchy matchy art. You know, the big flower painting that exactly matches the sofa. Like, oh my gosh, my eyes are bleeding. Please help me. Let me help you. I love when a client is open to a whole mixed bag of artwork experience. I love portraits. Not everybody does, but most of my projects end up with a portrait or two. I love photography. I love abstracts. Oh my gosh. You know what? It would be easier to tell you what I don't like. And what I don't like, I can't even categorize other than to say when I look at it, I don't like it. I do not profess to be an art expert, but I know who to ask. And I feel that way about all my trades. I'm not an electrician, but I know who to ask. I'm not a plumber, but I know who to ask. It's important, I think, that we have someone we can rely on when it comes time to advise our clients about artwork, particularly if you're not confident about making those choices. We're going to hear quickly from Cheryl Horn, who's got a bunch of dates coming up. And of course, those dates are also available at Business of Design. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, Kimberly. I will keep it short for today. I just added the next few uh, BOD Live meetings to the website. So full details are there, but I just wanted to share some save the dates for our members. Coming up on Wednesday, August 18th, we're going to be talking about contracts. So 
whether you're already using the BOD contracts or not, uh, please join us for that conversation. We're going to be answering some popular questions that we get about our contracts, uh, specifically for those who are not yet using them or thinking about buying them. We always get the question about which contract to start with or based on how they do projects, what contract is best for them. So we'll tackle that. And as well, Business of Design member Dane Austin is going to be sharing how he uh, shares his contract at the presentation because he has a bit of a visual presentation that goes along with that, that he mentioned at a previous BOD live meeting. So we've asked uh, him to join us for that and share with the group, which he was happy to do. And then coming up on September 29th, also a Wednesday, 1 p.m. EST, we're going to be talking about your operations manual. So it's been almost a year at that point since our business of design operations manual has been out there in the business of design community. And we're so excited about how many members are using it. But we do get questions, not about the systems, because it, you know, it it's, uh, works with the BOD 15 that you're already learning online, but more so how to use the operations manual within your office. And we're going to have some of our members share their experience with how they're doing it. And this, it, you know, we've got members using the operations manual that are solopreneurs. They're just on their own, um, as well as those who have staff. So how to delegate systems, really using that operations manual, as well as how to customize it for how your office works. So that's coming up in September. And then in October, one topic we haven't really talked a lot about, but individual questions always come up on other meetings. We're going to be talking about your A-team, working with tra trades, um, we're going to ask members to be sharing some like on-the-job uh, experiences that, at the, that they've had, maybe get other members to weigh in on how they may have handled it differently. Um, it came up previously about different contracts that trades want um, designers to sign based on who takes responsibility for what. So a lot of good questions surrounding your A-team. We've also gotten some questions about um, Business of Design's trade partner agreement, which uh, for our members, you know that that's such a core part of the BOD system and uh, it's essential to help build those trade partner relationships. So that again is coming up in October and that's going to be Wednesday, October 27th, 1 p.m. EST. And of course, all of these dates and topics are listed on the website. So if you head to businessofdesign.com, click on events, you're going to be able to uh, save all those dates to your calendar. And for our current members, uh, we I just sent out a um, members calendar last week. So there's some other important dates on there as well as some new content that we've added to the site. So please check all that out. And of course, if you ever have questions about membership, you're already a member and you need support, please reach out to me directly, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All good stuff. Thank you so much. And by the way, we are just a couple of months finally away from launching our very first BOD Boss Group, and I can't tell you how excited we are about the itinerary and what's ahead. This is the itinerary. This is the group I dreamed of 20 years ago. In fact, I even tried to start it 20 years ago, but it was the blind leading the blind, and that just didn't work. So we've pulled in the experts uh, our Business of Design Boss members need to get them to the next level, and we're really excited about that starting in October. If you're interested in the fast track 
to success and you want to be a BOD boss member in the future, it's too late to be part of this group. It's closed. However, we are going to launch a new, a second boss group about six months from now. So get your application in. This is not something you take on lightly. It's a three-year commitment. We mean business. You mean business. Your success is vitally important to us. If you don't succeed, we don't succeed. And I don't want that to happen. So looking forward to BOD boss groups as well. And now we're going to jump right into the show. I know I say this all the time, but I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Andrea, nice to see you again. How are you? Oh, I'm well. I'm really well. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Things are good here. You're in Michigan. Tell us about the state of affairs in Michigan. So I'm in the metro Detroit area. And besides it being cold and rainy today and yesterday being 80, you know, we're we're slowly getting back to normal. I have been to about four art exhibits openings as well as just kind of, you know, exhibits before they close. In fact, I'm going to a closing exhibit on, on Saturday with friends and it is so nice to get back out there. It's still small groups, you know, still masked indoors, but, oh, it's just so nice to see people again. Right. And to I just, see artwork in person. Yeah. I'm excited. Like I just went to Starbucks the other day and I'm just chatting away with the person behind the counter. And normally I'd be too busy and I'd be impatient and I'd be in a rush. And now I just want to know everything about my barista. How are you? I missed you. What's going on? Yep. No, exactly. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way. We are just so happy to kind of just be back together. Exactly. Okay. So obviously we should tell everybody who you are and what you do. And uh, you've not been on the podcast before, but we talked about your new creative venture and you've already given them a hint that it has something to do with art. So first tell everybody what you do and let's get into talking about how we can be helpful to interior design professionals. Absolutely. Um, so I am a fine artist and I'm an art advisor. Um, I also work for a local college here in Metro Detroit. I work for the College of Architecture and Design for Lawrence Tech University. Um, so I'm very familiar with the architecture and interior design world. Um, so as a fine artist, I bring a lot of benefits because what I do is I'm a matchmaker. So I source original local art and design products for interior professionals for the residential and commercial design projects. And my goal is to free up their time and reduce their frustration when sourcing local art. I launched an online showroom, Embrace Creatives, in January. So we're about six months young. It's a growing showroom of professional artists Um, And with a lot of diverse work, photography and fiber and painting, and um, we're going to be bringing furniture and lighting. I really want it to be an interiors showroom 
but where I vet the artists for their professionalism and their reliability, because ultimately you're running your business. I need to know that the people on my end can make your life easier and as well make my life easier. So that's kind of who I am and what I do. It seems like your timing couldn't be better. Anybody who's launching anything online in the last couple of years has probably been able to ride the tide of we're all stuck at home and looking online for everything. Completely. Now, Andrea already knows that I had this kind of reservation, but when I think about buying art online, there's there's something that makes me slightly anxious about it. It's like, I can't quite touch it. I can't feel it. I can't see it. What can I do to feel more comfortable purchasing art online, especially if I'm purchasing on behalf of clients? Yes, I agree. I happen to agree with you. I love, I'm a textural. I want to be there. I want to see the piece, but you can't always do that. So, um, that's actually one of the reasons that I really only bring on the highly professional nationally recognized artists is because I know that they are experts in their craft and what you see is what you're going to get. Um, but I've actually called three artists, one paper artist from embrace creatives, a fiber artist and a painter. And I asked them to write up their thoughts on what interior designers should look for when they're sourcing artwork for their clients, what they should look for and what they should stay away from. And it's actually funny because I was working with an interior designer recently. She had purchased paintings for a client and they put them in a powder room. So there's no humidity. And the painting started to, um, to pucker within just like a couple weeks. So she returned them and repurchased them. And it must have, I, I, I don't think she bought them from an artist. I think she bought them from just some online place and the new ones puckered. So they returned them. And she said, um, she said to her client, listen, you're going to have to invest in original art rather than the less expensive mass produced reproductions. And then of course she called me to start sourcing for her client. And then, you know, hearing that story, I'm like, gosh, that really is a problem. Um, so because I'm an expert in what I do. And of course I'm an artist, but you know, I'm building embrace creative. So I reached out to my artists to kind of bring in their, their thoughts. So if you'd like me to start, I can, I can do that. I would like that. That's terrific. Who we, let's start with painters with, with paintings. Um, what are the things we need to know before we click, before we add that item to our cart? What do we need to know? Yeah. So, um, one of my, my, one of my painters is, uh, with a longstanding career is Paul Berthelet. He's an expert in oil painting. He does murals and portraiture landscapes and plein air, which means that you're painting outside and his artwork hangs in very impressive spaces like the Homestead Hotel and the historic Christ church. And I know that, um, the information that he's going to bring is spot on. It's really going to help. So this is what Paul says. First of all, he want, he said, let me explain the material difference between oil and acrylic oil paint is slow drying and it's made from particles of pigment suspended in a drying oil, commonly like linseed. So it's a very natural media. And some artists even make their own oil paint using natural materials like berries. So whereas acrylic paint is fast drying and it's made of a pigment suspended in acrylic polymer emulsion, plasticizers and silicon oil. So it's kind of has a more plastic quality. Um, He says, because I'm an oil painter, uh, I'll be primarily speaking about my preferred medium. For oil paintings, an artist must wait approximately six months 
for the painting to dry before they're able to varnish it. But unfortunately, a lot of work out there may be unprotected because the artist just wants to sell it quickly. So maybe the less professional artist just wants to get it out there so they don't varnish it. So if the artwork is in oil and you don't see the type of varnish that they've used online, ask. Ask whether it's been varnished, and if not, when are they going to varnish it? Um, artwork made from uh, oil painting left unvarnished may crack over time. If an artwork is unvarnished and badly cracked, let's say you have a client with that problem now, you can ask the artist if they know who it is, if they can repair it themselves, or you can have a conservator fix it. So you can fix cracked paint. Regarding portraits, people don't want to wait typically six months for the varnish, but they have to. Um, it's really important to get that varnish done before the painting leaves the artist's studio and hangs in someone else's home unprotected. I feel like I'm more cynical than the average bear. So I don't know that I would say, has this painting been varnished? I probably would say, what has this painting been varnished with? Does that, mm. is that is that a difference that you think matters? I know, for example, if I'm at a flea market, uh, I don't say, has anything been done to this piece? I say, what's been done to this piece? I, it kind of gives the person I'm asking the impression that maybe I have some knowledge and I understand what I'm talking about. It's just semantics, but... Yeah, it, it do, to me, it doesn't matter how you, which, how you ask it. Ask any way you want. Just definitely ask to make sure... In, if the varnish is not put in the in the material section, definitely for an oil painting, you have to ask. For acrylic, you don't. Um, Paul uses a varnish with a UV blocker to protect pigments that are not as light fast. So, um, and that protects it when you're uh, placing work near light, whether it's a skylight or a window, because after a few years, the colors may diminish and lighten. So if you're gonna ask about varnish, um, and say, what type of varnish do you use? If they don't have a UV blocker, it's, it's important to know that, especially if you're going to hang it directly in front of a light source. It sounds like it might be a good idea to talk to the dealer and let them know, for example, that you're going to be hanging this in a place where there's going to be a lot of light, incoming light. Absolutely. I'm working with a collector and we have about six spaces in her home. And one of them is near, a very, it's a very large space in, perpendicular to a very large window and I'm looking at an oil painting and I'm speaking directly to my artist. I've sent him a photograph of where it's going to hang because I need his expert advice as to whether I should even be showing my client his work because obviously in 10 years, we don't want the piece to lighten. He talks about, he says, be careful when you display art in bathrooms or any room with a heat register or vent, because if heat is blowing onto an oil painting, it can make changes to the canvas. Um, it happens to him in an exhibit, the curator placed his oil painting underneath a vent and the gold leaf on the frame started to wrinkle. So hot air blowing over it over the entire month changed the composition of the material. So, you know, think about that really placement, um, especially for oil paintings. It's really important to keep it away from heat and light. Look for something else to look for when you're looking at paintings online, whether it's acrylic, whether it's oil, look at the corners of the paintings when you're looking at the picture. Look for wrinkles, look for puckering. Corners are tricky um, and a, an, an artist that's, that is an expert knows how to wrap 
um, finish a canvas if they are finishing it themselves. Some artists do store-bought, but if they're stretching the canvas themselves, they understand how to do the corners um, and they have to make sure that it's square. So if you can view the artwork in person, look at the sides and look at the corners to make sure they're flush and folded well. If you can't see the corners well when you're online, ask. Ask whoever you have to ask, whether it's the dealer, the artist, the owner of the website, for more photos. If you're just seeing it straight on and you, you really need to look at the sides to make sure that the quality of the work, even before they start painting, is up to your standards. Mm-hmm. Is there any way to help us determine the quality of workmanship. I, I do think that um, checking the corners is, is definitely, that's a great tip. But I wonder if there's some way to gauge, because let's face it, there are thousands of artists. How can we gauge if we're looking at someone who has a quality and a reputation, I guess? Interior designers are conceptually strong, right? You can go into a room and visualize Um, spatially and where everything should be and you allow things to breathe and you kind of have a good understanding of height and placement. Um, And it's really the same thing in art. So you can use your skills in a three-dimensional room and kind of turn them into onto this 2D piece and have a good sense. And if you feel that there's something wrong, there's probably something wrong. Um, One good way to determine whether the artist is an expert is to look at their storefront or whatever, where, whatever the online store calls it and look for their professional documents. I put all of the artist's professional documents on Embrace Creatives, their CV, their artist statement, their bio. Those should be the three main things. Look to see where they've exhibited all of their um, corporate commissions, if they have any. Sometimes uh, they put a video, I allow videos on, so you can actually get an introduction to the artist. And I think just kind of like anything else, I mean, when you're, I would imagine that when you're buying products, when you're looking for couches, for tables, and you don't really know the manufacturer, you don't know the brand, you do some research on them. Maybe you talk to colleagues. Um, maybe you determine who, what, who has purchased this, these items and have a conversation. How are they holding up? What did you think when they arrived? So maybe to, once you find that information from the artist, you can certainly call the gallery. You call the person or email the person that actually owns the website and say, tell me about this artist. What, what were they like? What was the quality of their work like? I'm looking to, to, you know, bring these in to source these for my client. So that, that's my suggestion. Yeah, you're right about that. So often I think, you know, with a sofa is such a good example because the important information of a sofa is inside. You can't see it. In that case, you really have to trust the dealer. You have to trust the person who's saying, this is a product that I believe in and I rely on. And so you develop a relationship over time. Like I probably have four or five galleries that are my go-tos. And uh, when they tell me something, I believe them. Exactly. And, and, and that's the thing. And, and to me, that's why I love being an art advisor because I build those relationships with the designers I'm working with. And I will be completely honest with them if I feel that the piece is good, bad for their specific needs. Because 
my reputation's on the line and I, I really want to do right by them and anyone who has integrity in the fine art space and in the design space, you know, they really want what's best for you because you're suiting your client's needs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so that's oil paintings specifically. What, what do we yes. talk about um, in terms of paper? And I suppose that is, includes photography as well as other mixed media type applications. Absolutely. Anything that, that, that is printed on paper that is made out of paper. So collage, printmaking, photography. Um, Ray Bellner is a North California-based sculptor, and he's a mixed-media artist, and he's been selling for about 30 years. His work is in permanent collections of major museums, including the Federal Reserve Board. So I'm really confident that his advice carries a ton of weight. He sent me important guidelines for you. Um, I'm going to read them now. He says, as an artist who, understand the, who understands the importance of art with integrity, and that is so key, um, I feel that when interior professionals are sourcing art for their clients, they should be on the lookout for artwork crafted with quality materials, obviously. Using professional products is not only part of a traditional art education, but using higher priced and long lasting media means that the artwork will stand the test of time. So he suggests that when looking for original art on paper or printmaking pieces, gear your search towards items printed on quality paper like 100% rag, archival, with archival pigmented prints, inks. Any time you see the word archival, you know it's quality. That is what museums use. And that is what professional artists who work in paper should use when they're getting their work, whether they're printing in their studio or whether they're using um, outside print um, studios they really need to work on archival because if not, it's going to start to yellow. So archival paper is made of cotton fibers and has a lifespan of more than a hundred years. Papers that are acid free are important also because non-acid free papers can, can deteriorate or turn yellow, which of course will affect the image over time and adversely affect the value of the piece. So skip the cheap paper. Like, if you ever see anything made on new newsprint, run, run, run away. <laughs> because newsprint is, a, is really more for sketching um, and it, it should be avoided. But if you're looking for and you see a beautiful drawing and it just says charcoal on paper, you have to ask the artist. You have to ask the dealer. If it's a reputable place and especially dealers, they will tell you, they may actually tell you the type of paper that's being used. But as long as it's archival and acid-free, you're going to be in good shape. Also, in regards to acid-free, any framing that you do for a client should also be archival, meaning acid-free papers, the mounts, and the glues. So even the glue has to be acid-free because that, of course, adheres to the paper and it can seep into the fibers and ruin the work. It sounds like it's similar to the question about the varnish, you know, to just ask the type of paper if it's not uh, written, if it's not expressly revealed. Exactly, exactly. And but who thinks to who who but an artist, especially an expert who works in these media, would know to ask that? So you know, educating all of your guests on this, I think is so important because it just gives them that added value for their client. Now they have this education and they know what to look for so that 
when they bring artwork in, they're really, they're not as concerned about the quality of the piece. He also says for pieces that are put on wood, for art for artwork on paper that is put on a wood backing, he feels it's best if adhered to primed wood surfaces, again, using acid-free adhesives. So if the artist is, is gluing paper onto a substrate, onto some type of a surface, um, the artist should also state that they are using acid-free adhesives. And then talking about varnish again, for the protective layer, for paperwork, the artist should be coating using a water-based varnish. If the varnish includes a UV, just like what um, Paul was talking about, it's going to uh, protect the colors from fading. So if you don't see or are unsure of the quality of the varnish, of the adhesive, go ahead and ask. Now, there are also ways to frame a paper work where the glass itself has a UV coating. I don't know if that changes the opacity of the you know, of the glass. That's something that, that a framer would know. But I do know that if you're unsure, if the artwork has a UV coating varnish, you can speak to the framer and they can do kind of a workaround on their end. One question we get sometimes from clients in terms of photography is, can we hang something that's behind glass, a paperwork behind glass in a bathroom? And we've never had a problem doing that. I would understand that that might be a problem if you had a steamy environment or something. Is there a general rule about that? I think similar to what uh, Paul was saying about oil painting. I mean, yeah. The only way that I would hang paperwork in a steamy bathroom is if it wasn't close to the shower or wherever the steam is coming from. If you know that the paper has been varnished well, and if the framer can seal that artwork up tight, right? They could put a really good seal all the way around so that, so that the steam is not touching the paper, but Ultimately, you're. I feel you're taking a chance, and you know. And at that point, if you do, if you can, if you see the paper start to wrinkle, I mean, obviously, remove the piece and put it in in a dry place. And I would reach out either to the framer or to a restorer and just get their or to the artists themselves and get an idea of how that can be fixed. And it may need to be taken out of the frame and then smoothed out um, so that it's straight again and then reframed. Okay. What about textile art? I mean, I can't think of a situation where I couldn't use that, I guess, inside. Absolutely. Textiles, you're fine. Textiles are like hair, right? It just, it's fine. It's flat, flat and useless. And, Won't hold a curl. Yeah, Is no. that what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah. Beautiful and silky and yeah. So indoors fiber also, because it's been dyed and similar to a pigment, right? So Paint is a pigment, which is a color, suspended in emulsion or in linseed oil. Fiber are fibers that have been dyed. So dyes can also lose their color if you put them into a a light source. Um, Just so that you know, blue colors 
are more light fast than reds or yellows. So think about that when for, when, for any piece of art that you're buying that goes in front of a light source. Um, I reached out to Debbie Griffka. She's an Ann Arbor, Michigan-based uh, textile artist, teacher, and author whose work uh, spanning a 20-year career focuses on power, elegance, and the serenity of line in a very minimalistic style. So she's been working. She's primarily a quilter, but we talked about weaving as well because that is another, obviously, textile technique. Um, and it's really because it's all fiber and sewing, they, it all kind of works together. So she says, a good amount of stitching. So when you're looking at an artwork that has a fiber art that has stitching in it, like a quilt, the stitching should go through all the layers of the work meaning it should be visible on the front as well as the back. So if you're able to view the artwork in person, ask to see the back. If the artwork is online and there's no images of the back, request one. Um, you want to make sure that because when the, when, the fiber, when the stitching goes from front to back, it strengthens the piece. And it's also kind of nice to see the back of the piece. You don't want the back of the piece to be a hot mess either. You want to know that there's that the fiber artists really had a plan before they attacked their piece. She also said that stitching and weaving should be close enough together to protect the integrity and the stability of the work. Fibers that are too far apart, generally let's say four to five inches apart, may cause the artwork to sag after being hung on a wall for a long time because there's, there's less tensile strength. So if you have a big gap somewhere, the, the portion directly underneath that gap may sag. Now, one caveat here is that sometimes the artist incorporates a very loose design as their studio brand and their aesthetic. So that may be part of the artwork is like this loose look. So don't think that just because you see a fiber piece that's on a wall that looks loose, that it's made poorly. If you look at the rest of the artist's pieces and you look at their professional documents and you see that they've been selling for a long time, they've been exhibited in a lot of places, that's their aesthetic it's not like they don't know what they're doing. Um, that's what they want the artwork to look like. Another thing, um, it's really important that the artists send instructions, hanging instructions, so that when it gets to the client's house, you have a really good understanding of not only how it should be viewed on the wall, but also how it should be hung so that it doesn't get damaged. In terms of the hanging mechanism for fiber, right? So you can't just take it to, I mean, you can certainly put it in a frame, but for me, I love the texture. I love, you know, you, I want that. When I see that on, outside of a frame, like there's this visceral effect that I get. I just love fiber. I put a lot of fiber in my own paintings actually. So a lot of artists, fiber artists, will put a hanging me mechanism on their piece to allow their clients to display it. The hanging mechanism on any work larger than about 20 in inches should go all the way across the back because you want the weight of the work to be distributed evenly so the artwork will hang properly for years to come. So if you're unsure how to hang a fiber piece that you're sourcing for a client, ask the artist. Ask them to either send you instructions or ship the piece with a hanging mechanism ready to go. That makes a lot of sense to me. In fact, I wish every I wish that were true of every type of artwork you order, but uh, nonetheless, what what advice can you give us in terms of mixing artwork? I try to go for a big mix of, 
you know, paintings, photography, abstract, figurative. I love portraits. Not everybody loves portraits, but I do. So what advice can you give us in terms of just, you know, offering our clients a better mix? I love mixing. To me, mixing just adds this sensual feeling and it allows the people living in the space to um, see different things every time they look. I'm always amazed when I meet designers who don't want to purchase artwork on behalf of their clients. I love doing it. And you definitely get more confident as you get older. But I really find artwork is something people sometimes are afraid to make choices with. And so when I propose different pieces of artwork for a house and they see them in their house, very often they'll say yes. So that's one of my favorite things to do. Just go for it. Go ahead and pick artwork for clients. You'll be happy you did. Andrea, we like to end every episode with something we call design intervention. And you've just recently launched your business. So you probably have a piece of business advice that has been important for you that you'd love to share with everybody. Absolutely. One thing that was brought to my attention is it's really important as a business owner to kind of stand in your strength and don't let your business run you, but run your business and don't let your life run you. So really make the conscious decision to make the right choices and don't let your business kind of run away with you. It just means being a little bit more organized, setting boundaries and honoring yourself um, so that you really stay as focused and in charge as possible. And it allows you to really move your business where you want it to be and set those standards. Who do you want to work with? Who do you don't want to work with? What type of people do you want to bring into your life? Because really your business is your life. That's what you do 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Oh, such good advice. Thank you so much. It's great to see you say hi to Valerie for me. I will. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And yeah, everyone go ahead and buy local original art. You're supporting our art community and you can bring beautiful things into your client's home. It's a (laughs) win-win. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today 